0: We decided that we would try to get the best speakers we could always and try to not use any of them to sell the conference. We wanted people that came to trust us, to trust sort of the conference and what it was about and what we were doing, and especially to, when a break was over, you know, get back to your seat, get excited
1: because you don't know what kind of surprise is coming your way. Date, November 2016, episode 147. In this episode, developer, author, conference organizer and co-working space owner Chris Schifflett talks about the Brooklyn Beta Conference. It's origin story, elevator pitch, audience engagement, tracks, FOMO, speakers, pacing and trust. Chris, please introduce yourself.
0: Uh, oh, gosh. Uh, well, I'm, I'm Chris Shifflett. Uh Most people know me as one of the two organizers of Brooklyn Beta. I'm also a partner at Fictive Ken, where I do lots of internet stuff, and uh, recently moved from Brooklyn to Boulder. So that's been a big part of who I am lately. <laughs> I guess father, husband, uh, computer person, something like that. What's the elevator pitch for Brooklyn Beta? There is no elevator pitch because we never really were great at pitching it, um, but we called it a friendly web conference. And uh, I think the, the shortest way that I could think to describe it, which would probably take a little, a long elevator ride would be that we had three goals when we started. Um, one was to sort of bring developers and designers a little bit closer together, um, not only meeting each other, but also hopefully through those interactions, like a little bit more appreciation and understanding of what uh, work each other do another aspect of what we were trying to do was to encourage people to pursue their own sort of dreams solve their own problems where possible you know obviously you know some of us just have to do the job that we can find and make money and provide for our family or whatever but you know we are lucky to work in an industry where there is more opportunity, I think, than most other industries, especially to create very big change. I've often described the internet as the opportunity of our lifetime, just because it connects everybody, or, you know, many, many people, and, you know, has the potential to connect more and more and, and do more than just solve problems that the people who make the internet face. And so that kind of segues into the, the third aspect of the conference was, it was very important for us to try to, I don't know, like shine a spotlight, I guess, on problems that were at least a little bit different, a little bit maybe unfamiliar to our audience and to me especially. So, you know, anything that's outside of the world of computers isn't, you know, something that I'm intimately familiar with. I don't know what kind of problems teachers face, you know, that well. I don't know what kind of problems doctor's face, you know, people that work in the government, scientists, there's, there's a whole world out there of, of opportunity to, you know, possibly improve things.
1: What's the origin story of Brooklyn Beta?
0: Well, that one's tough, too. I think it has like a few different origin stories, you know, it was started by myself and Cameron. And we probably brought different things to it, different reasons for doing it. The year before the first Brooklyn Beta, I organized like this Really small dinner, but a sort of, a conference for developers that I was involved in and spoke at uh, was in New York, in Brooklyn, actually. And I had very recently moved into this co-working space uh, that later became known as Studio Mates. And through that, and through my friend, John Tan, kind of collectively, I, I had met all these really wonderful designers. And there were all these developers who were in town for this conference. And I was like, well, let's organize this dinner and uh, just try to get these two groups together and just kind of see what happens and see how fun that is. I think some of the people who were involved like think of that as like a Brooklyn Beta Zero but there was no intention to ever do anything more than just that one little like off-the-cuff thing but many of those people who came to that first dinner were some of the first people we really tried hard to get to come to the first Brooklyn Beta and I think the um, really when Cameron and I visited a conference that was in Manhattan. It was the Future of Web Design. We we went there on just kind of like something to do and wanted to kind of support some of the people that we knew who were speaking or attending there and that sort of thing. And I think through that experience, we saw so much that we wish was a little bit different in the way that kind of the the conference is structured and just a way to like give the people who attend a little bit more opportunity to be more engaged and more involved in what's happening. And, uh, you know, the talks were wonderful. I think the people who went for, were one, wonderful. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great conference, but there was just enough that I think we wanted to do different that we, you know, kind of, we skipped out on the afternoon of that conference and kind of went to a local bar and, and uh, started talking about kind of doing our own thing.
1: Tell, tell us a little bit more about uh, your partner.
0: We bring different, different ingredients, I think, to the, to the whole mix. And um, neither of us are designers, um, which I think some people are surprised by. His background is business, even going all the way back into university and stuff, and mine's computer science. And um, so we kind of came at things from different angles and both, I think, have a very deep appreciation of designers and design as a, as a skill. I think we became good friends uh, very quickly. And uh, Brooklyn Beta was the first Brooklyn Beta started like less than a year after we had met. So, you know, most of the way through the planning process, I think we grew closer and got to be better and better friends.
1: You touched a little bit upon this, but um, what did you wanted to make uh, different with this conference exactly?
0: We had a few goals, uh, like I mentioned earlier, those three in particular. I've never really... I don't, in my opinion, I've never articulated those very well, but we had, you know, we had kind of written them down from the start. We had those three things in mind. And I think it's important to have some sort of purpose driving you. It's not just important for the people that come to kind of believe in what you're about or anything, but I think it really helps, you know, for anything, anything difficult, as you probably know, there's, there's going to be obstacles to overcome and there's going to be times where it's just a lot of work and it's, can be, uh, you need a little extra something to kind of overcome those obstacles. And I think the, you know, those those challenges challenges and struggles are are more easily overcome when you feel like you're driven by purpose. And in terms of like the layout of the conference, I think the biggest thing that we wanted to do better was to make the audience engaged in the talks, at least when they were happening. So, you know, I've been to a lot I've been to a lot of conferences and I've spoken at conferences, and the ones that I liked by far the most as a speaker would be where I don't have a podium or anything, even though I'm not particularly, I'm not very outgoing, so I'm not like a natural stage presence. But if I want to do my best job as a a speaker, I want to be engaged with the audience. And I always loved intimate environments where I felt like it was just me and them. And, you know, if I can just overcome any kind of nervousness or whatever, then I could really make a connection and it felt like a really good talk and i wanted i wanted that to be every speaker and the audience loves that too and so a few things that we do are obvious like we only have a single track and other conferences have done that for years so that wasn't anything new but it's i think a very important thing because no one has like the fear of missing out no one leaves a talk to go to a different one you know because it's not not going great or whatever. Like if you like it or if you don't, there's no real alternative. And it also allows speakers to build on this sort of narrative throughout the day, which is really neat. And so you can assume that everyone in the room has been with you the whole way. You've all been on that same journey. The things that we did, I think a little bit different and maybe you know, still different than, than most uh, conferences is we, we put a lot of white space into the schedule. And that's just what we kind of, the word we used for like downtime, like breaks, lunch, whatever. Yeah. And so we never had more than two talks in a row. And, you know, a few other rules like that never had a break that was less than 30 minutes. Um, Most were 45 minutes or more. And so the pacing of the day felt very relaxed. And one interesting thing that does is you don't get the like, group of people who kind of migrate to the back and start talking to each other and create it like a distracting noise. I think if you're telling the audience something important, they deserve the chance to like let that digest a little bit, to talk to their fellow attendees about it and stuff like that. They don't just want to hear from the speakers. So I think that gives us the right balance so that when a speaker is on stage, people are more likely to pay attention. The other two things we did to sort of help with uh, I think engagement. We didn't do the first year. We just recognized that it worked out great and kind of went along with it. One is no internet. So we held the conference in this art space that was, it didn't have anything but like like copper wire going to the building. There was no, no fiber or cable or any of, the, any of the modern stuff you think of for providing broadband. And even most broadband is not adequate for hundreds of people that all want to use the Internet. So for us, we researched all the different ways that we could provide it. And, you know, we, we have enough of an engineering uh, background to know kind of what it would take. And we had a solution in place, but it was going to be uh, roughly $20,000. And um, <laughs> Brooklyn Beta, the first few years, it was always... It lost a few a few thousand dollars every year, and uh, the idea of like that was like that would come out of my pocket and Cameron's pocket, so I would have to personally pay ten thousand dollars to give everybody internet access, and that just wasn't going to happen. Um, but that turned out to be a, a fantastic thing, you know. We kind of in later years when it was a little bit more possible, a little bit less expensive, and there was you know a little bit more money in the conference budget, we could have figured out a way to make it work, but after that first year, we deliberately chose not to. And the nice thing is it people have smartphones and can kind of like check email or something if, if something's really important. Or, you know, they can also use the brakes to do important things like that. But the biggest difference I noticed is that almost no one opened a laptop during the conference because laptops aren't very useful without the internet. And, you know, or you're like tethering or doing something kind of awkward. And so for the most part people really did use the conference as an excuse to be offline for a day or, you know, in, in later years, a couple of days or whatever. Um, and then the last thing we did, uh, which was, it's a little bit tricky, and I don't, I should also mention that I don't recommend doing all these things. This is just like what we did, and uh, it kind of worked out, but we we never announced speakers. And the first year we definitely did, you know, we did everything we could to describe in great detail, what the conference was about, who's speaking there, and things like that. But after that, we didn't announce the speakers, partly because, in my experience, some of the best speakers uh, aren't people that you necessarily know about. So especially if we're going to be trying to to shine a spotlight on problems that this community is not familiar with, that means we're going to be trying to get speakers that this community is not familiar with. So in our particular conference, you had an audience of people who most likely did not know the speakers. And if you can imagine looking at a schedule and you're trying to think about, you know, well, maybe I'll just take an extra long lunch break because, you know, that talk, I don't even know who that is. You can make choices like that that end up not being that great for the conference or for your experience. And so, you know, we decided that was kind of a hard decision, but... We decided that we would try to get the best speakers we could always and try to not use any of them to sell the conference. We wanted people that came to trust us, to trust sort of the conference and what it was about and what we were doing. And especially to, when a break was over, you know, get back to your seat, get excited because you don't know what kind of surprise is coming your way.
1: I like that. Also, you were probably building on the reputation from the first year. And then it's easier, I guess, to sell people not knowing what comes next year.
0: Yeah, I think it gets easier. I don't know that we could have done that the first year. You know, the internet was a decision that was kind of made for us. And then we just decided that and it turned out to be a happy surprise. The only thing we can really take credit for is kind of, I think we got the pacing of the event just right. I guess
1: a good compromise for the future could be to turn off the internet uh, when a speaker is in session.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it depends on the conference and the audience and stuff. I I would love to have an excuse, I think sometimes to to just spend a day actually focused on something. I've also been involved in like training and workshops and things like that where if you are I used to be a, a like a I would teach programming and I would go to companies and have a class and They were never as engaged as when I would have a class that other people would come to. And the reason was because they were there, anyone would feel free to like drop into the class and like interrupt the, you know, the sysadmin or something like, hey, can you check out this server problem or, you know, whatever the case was. And I think if you're still tethered to the internet, you can have that kind of burden. You know, you're expected to still be checking your email throughout the day. You're still expected to do this and that. And, um, you know, on the, on the fictive Ken side of things, I think we have a pretty good conference policy where we can't afford for everyone to be going to conferences all the time, even if they're speaking, but we do want people who go to a conference, uh, employees to focus on the conference while they're there. You know, I hope that, you know, no one would think that they feel the burden of work, uh, while they're at a conference. Um, and if they do, you know, maybe they either shouldn't go to that conference should go to fewer or you know maybe the uh, the employer should kind of rethink their sort of policy for that